Good afternoon and good evening on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota, and WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk. It's the Matt McNeil Show on a brand new to you holiday edition of the show. That's right. We are not in, but we have got brand new interviews that we have never aired that we're airing for you. It's our little Christmas gift for you this holiday season. It's wildly popular. Uh, more popular. This is, I'm, I have to do it now because everyone loves that we do it. So, uh, by all means, just sit and enjoy a brand new interview for you today. And I've got an absolute humdinger of one for you. Uh, if longtime listeners in the show will remember Dolores Pringle, uh, Dolores Pringle is a, 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 a great friend who, of course, is with the Penn Center. Uh, this is the amazing historic site on St. Helena Island down in South Carolina, which we will talk um, at length about how, the importance of the site and the significance of the site, as well as some other issues. Dolores Pringle, once again, has joined us for many years. Unfortunately, not available this year, but we actually uh, are, are very lucky, very, very lucky to have the Executive Director for the Penn Center, Dr. Robert Adams. He's kind enough to join us today to talk about the site. Dr. Adams, thank you very much. We appreciate the time. Oh, thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure, sir. Uh, I, I've told the story. My my family uh, moved down to the Beaufort area, uh, which is on the mainland, kind of across from St. Helena Island, uh, near St. Helena Island. And the the they basically said, I went down and visited. They said, we should go out to the Penn Center one time. And I went to the Penn Center and I was just floored because is as far as a historic site goes, there are not many I can think of, especially from the African-American black perspective, that have such deep, rich history as the Penn Center. It truly is a magnificent site. Yes. I mean, we're fortunate that, um, you know, this goes back to the Reconstruction period. It actually kind of predates Reconstruction, but it started in 1861, and it has been in existence since then. And it's a combination of uh, local sort of activism that has kept it alive and preserved, as well as national allies and friends. And it is both a historical memorial, but it's also been an active sort of site to try to think about the future. And, um, you know, because the... The unique legacy here is that it is, from the very beginning when it started in 1861, it's like, let's look backwards so that we can go forward. And what you bring up there is... Sort of mission. Go ahead. Well, and and that's the the amazing thing. And and I love how you just described it because it has transition. Initially, it was in this element alone is such an important historic element. I mean, for most people up here, they don't realize that after Fort Sumter fell, the North didn't leave. They just floated into Beaufort Harbor and took over Beaufort. And it created this pre-emancipation proclamation issue that the U.S. Army was dealing with because as they had what was called the Great Skedaddle and all the white uh, slave owners left, they left behind slaves who were technically freed, but they were in kind of a legal limbo in the country at that point. And that's how the Penn Center started. Is that a, a fair way to surmise it? It is. It is. And and also to think about, like, this island produced some what was called long staple cotton. Mm-hmm. And it's like some of the highest quality cotton in the world. The uh, Guardian newspaper just did a recent investigation where some of the founders of the Guardian newspaper in Manchester, England, can trace the profits they use from enslaved people on this island to start the Guardian newspaper in Manchester. Really? 
Wow. Yes. Um, and um, so, you know, they call it a cotton capital. It's a series. But, but it's just to kind of show you that in some ways this area had a significance that predates the Penn Center. The Penn Center has built on the ways in which uh, St. Helena has been an important historical, uh, political, economic site in American history. And, and it's uh, it's part of the Gullah culture as well that's down there. That is, and it's now it's been designated a historical area. Really, I think is it from North Carolina all the way down to Georgia on the islands. This unique culture that developed there uh, with the the, the, the African Americans and the Native Americans and their culture that was there. Yes, all the way down to Jacksonville, Florida. That's right. Okay, that's yes. right. It, yeah. it's it's by the way i'm going to just i'm going to get the spoiler alert out of the bag right now anyone who's listening to me make a trip down there the the area is gorgeous it is it's not nearly as packed as hilton had it's really cute it's really adorable and it is such an important historic site because of this because you have really the you know it was the first attempt to say okay what are we going to do we are going to our effort here is to free the slaves what are we? How do? What happens after that moment? And the it was uh, the Penn Center became this 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 institution to to kind of address that and, and show that you know let's let's this is something that the slaves they're they're when they're freed they can be educated landowners they can own their own land and all these things it was kind of a a petri dish of of what was going to be the expectation later correct yes exactly exactly because in one ways it tapped into. African American desire for literacy, mm-hmm. and after so during the Civil War and after this demand to learn how to read and write, so schools opened up across the South. Some were Saturday schools, some were night schools, some were day schools. But this idea that literacy was an important part of American citizenship, Penn Center um, emerges partly from that. It also is about setting up the idea about what kind of skills do we need to prosper and be self-sufficient. And that's another aspect of, so the Penn Center has taken a big role in helping to transition local farmers in the past from doing cotton, especially during the bull, uh, bull weevil uh, a crisis, to more sort of edible crops and other kind of crops that, you know, were more disease-resistant. And diversification of crops, you know, which was important for when cotton was collapsing mm-hmm. to make sure that folks had a way of economically caring for themselves. So that there was this idea about freedom and self-sufficiency. And Penn Center has always been around that idea of looking into the future of how can we be self-sufficient. And and you bring up the the kind of the evolution of the mission and and gosh I mean if you go on the tour of the museum you you see that well through the history past that once you get past the Civil War and you you get into the the late eighteen hundreds early nineteen hundreds the goal was to to basically make the the African American community self sufficient with with their their with you know. You know, certain you know automobile repair. I remember she was. I was being told by the the tour guide the one time. It's like they they would go out and train people on how to repair automobiles because it was a good job. And you know, you could you be relatively self sufficient on this. The idea of creating self sufficient 
uh, in education. Uh, people that, that came out of the Penn Center were able to to basically have a, a good life. That was it. Seems like that was the better goal that that eventually came through on the educational side of the Penn Center. Yes, yes, and then we also had health a health aspect. So we had nurses that would go out and help with maternal health, for example, so that in 1930, sociologists that were working on the island discovered that the health rates, despite the poverty, were much better. We had much better outcomes in terms of health because of the maternal uh, nurses that we were sending out um, and the training that we were doing on the island, helping to attack some of the parasites that existed on the island. Mm -hmm. So... You know, this has always been a challenging place because of we're, you know, right here kind of on, you know, tidal basin type land. Um, and so it's always had a lot more mosquitoes in the past and things like that. Uh, those things have been solved over time with technology. But in the early days, that's what made the population uh, majority black during slavery, for example, and a lot of absentee landowners who lived further inland where they could get away from malaria and smallpox and some of those other challenges that uh, face that early settlers face on this island. You know, luckily those are not big issues now. So when you visit, you won't be facing any of those things now. <laughs> what you'll be you'll be facing two things: spectacular views, gorgeous and gorgeous coastlines, as well as amazing food. By the way, if you go down there, the food down there is unbelievable. It's some of the best in the world. Uh, the school. This was the, one of the hard lessons. As a white person who, let's face it, our education system in this country just doesn't educate us on all the levels it should. When the reality hit, I was explain, it was explained to me that you couldn't graduate from a high school in South Carolina if you were black. I think they allowed people to enter high school. I think it was in 47 or so. And so it, was like, it wasn't until 51, 1951, that the first high school graduate, African-American high school graduates were even allowed in South Carolina, which goes back to show you how much more important the Penn Center was at it basically, you know, kind of looking at a flawed system and saying, no, we're still going to we're going to make sure we're not bowing to those restrictions. Yeah, and there's a real um, irony here. And the irony is that Buford County, Robert Smalls, who was a hero of the Civil War because he stole that Confederate uh, ship and delivered it to Charleston. Um, there's a um, the Union forces, but there's when he went into the legislature, into the Congress, he was one of the big advocates and champions for the introduction of public education into this country. Mm -hmm. So here you have an African American architect of public education from Beaufort County. That those uh, institutions that he championed were restricted to the people that look like him. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and so, but the idea that African Americans, you know, when they came out of enslavement, they weren't just thinking about themselves. They were thinking about ways to better American democracy. Mm -hmm. And they were thinking about what kind of institutions and services did a democratic republic owe to its citizens. Public education was one of those. Yeah. It's, and it, um, researchers, go ahead. Oh, no, you finish, please. I've said researchers have shown that. After the Civil War, the sort of community that championed education the most was African Americans. Yeah. Because they just saw how important it was for their own advancement 
and their own ability for self-sufficiency. It's interesting to put that in conjunction. I was just in New Orleans for the first time and never went down there. And to hear of the restrictions on African-Americans to go to school there, even with so, these so-called, you know, these, these angel donators and stuff like that that was there, it was still it was amazing. It truly makes what the Penn Center is and represented and, and, and became so much – so important and it is a really incredible site. Uh, doctor, let's, let's take a break right here. I, I, when I come on back, I want to – obviously the, the, the history, once again, it keeps, it keeps evolving there because I want to get into the Martin Luther King Jr. history and the significance yes. in the civil rights movement of the Penn Center. Uh, joining us right now, Dr. Robert Adams from the Penn Center. He's the executive director down there. Let's take a break. We'll come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show, brand new to you edition right here on AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota, and WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk. It's the Matt McNeil Show, brand new to you edition of it. Dr. Robert Adams, the executive director for the Penn Center on St. Helena Island down in South Carolina. Kind enough to join us to talk about that amazing site down there. And Dr. Adams, the the we, we talked about the the, the, kind of the Civil War history, the education history. Let's talk about the civil rights history because it, it Martin Luther King Jr., he ended up spending quite a bit of time down there, correct? Did. He yeah. did. What, what did he have a connection to the area, or was it just as did he see the historical significance of the area as well? I think he saw the significance of the area. Mm-hmm. One, it was a place where um, I think he was trying to build on earlier civil rights movement uh, efforts and initiatives, and he tapped into what Beaufort County and St. Helena had been, and so in some ways he's coming back to the well of like in part of the origin story, I think, mm-hmm. to kind of consider and think about what a vision for the future is, because he was doing the same thing in the sense of trying to understand the past to make up, to cut a path for a future for African-Americans and really essentially for all Americans um, to make sure that democracy um, and citizenship were available to anybody that was American. The uh, I was told something, and, and you need uh, just want to verify if this is true or not. That the Penn Center was only one of two places in southeastern United States where Martin Luther King Jr. could meet with white people, and it was allowed. Is is that a is that a correct statement? Say that's true. Um, you know, because part of it is we had this history of being an interracial institution. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a space to educate black young people as well as to serve a black community here in St. Helena. But it it was protected and helped and advanced with a lot of white allies. So this is an important space. This historical preservation and memorial uh, reflects uh, interracial history and, um, and, and allyship. And it's an important to kind of think about that. And so when King got here, he was building on that. You know, and so he brought various people from across the country here to discuss and to explore strategies for moving this country forward and moving the civil rights movement forward. Um, and, you know, we he stayed in Gantt Cottage, which is still uh, on the campus, 
and we were in the process of building a new space called Retreat House, mm-hmm. where he could, that's right by the waterside, that he could stay and be secluded and rest. Unfortunately, he was assassinated before he could get back to stay at Retreat House. You know, and, and, and so before his, his assassination, the Poor People's Campaign that he was planning, he sent his staff down here to start strategizing and planning. And we have some really wonderful photographs of his staff sitting in the sun, mm-hmm. um, talking and enjoying Hosea Williams, Jesse Jackson, Andrew Young. You know, we have these pictures of them as young people, you know, full of this energy and and, and this brilliant light that they have as they kind of discuss, you know, really making history in some ways. He also did some of his most important writing there, correct? He did. Um, this is a place um, everybody that visits reflects on how the energy and the spirit of this place is a special and unique kind of uh, energy and spirit. And it's an inspiring, and it moves you forward. And so I think that he tapped into the ancestors speaking the way that they do in St. Helena. Mm-hmm. Um, the, when the wind goes through those trees and that Spanish moss flows back and forth, you can hear the ancestors pushing you forward encouraging you to stand up and to move the community forward the way that they move the community forward. The, you know, I, I'm, I, I can understand the appeal. One of the things is, as a, from the, from the white perspective, they don't t- teach you about this stuff, but one of the things that Penn Center represents is basically what, frankly, a lot of the Southern whites were trying to stop from being seen. The, the fact that the African-American community could be successful. They could, you know, you know, they could manage themselves. They could, you know, they could, you know, they could uh, govern themselves. They could educate themselves. They could survive on their own, that they didn't need it. This whole, that one, the, one of the things about the, the Reconstruction is the whole idea of the, the white community turning their back on the African-American community in, in the way that they did. You, you look at even further into this, the 20th century in, the, in, in Tulsa where you have a, a – a successful African-American neighborhood that basically was deemed to be such a threat to the white culture that they had to wipe it off the earth. And so when you see Penn Center, I think one of the things that it struck me is this is something that is – this is the proof that that there's so many people did not want to be seen and so, I mean, I know I'm a bit of a novice and I'm not exactly there, but I can easily see how someone like Martin Luther King, who could be so inspired by a place like this, because frankly, places like the Penn Center just don't exist that much anymore. Yeah, and that's why it's so important to preserve these type of spaces, to remember the, um, the places that inspired people and that push people forward. Because, again, this is really um, – this is one of the monuments of American democracy. Um, when the founding fathers set up this nation, they unlocked, unleashed an important idea of American democracy. But they didn't quite get it right or as advanced as maybe they dreamed. So our job as citizens has been from that day forward to make a more perfect union. And that has been lots of advocacy lots of organizing, lots of standing up to put to sort of realize the dream. And so Penn Center stands as one of the places where the dream was sort of hammered out, a workshop, a laboratory, if you will, to kind of like think about that more perfect union. 
And and it shows. And this is why, I mean, I was, like I said, stunned to the core when I saw it. Like, why, how is this not on, you know, kind of up there with the most important historic sites in the country? Why are, I mean, this should be, there should be roads here. There should be a line of cars onto the island because it's that important. There is a way for a lot of people, and we'll, we'll talk more about some of the issues you guys are facing today. But one thing I do want to take a quick moment, if I can, people can become members of the Penn Center and help you preserve this history, correct? Yes, they can. If they go to pencenter.com, um, you can join the Penn Center as members and supporters, and um, and we send out a newsletter and other um, important information to keep people updated about this work and the importance of this work. Uh, this is essential work to sort of preserve. And, you know, as a site that has 23 um, historic buildings on 50 acres. Mm-hmm. It is not a cheap endeavor <laughs> to keep buildings that are more than 100 years old in these kind of conditions of being on the coastline with lots of humidity, lots of hurricanes and other kinds of things like that. So it is a it is a difficult place to maintain these um, this infrastructure, but we've done it for uh, more than a century and a half, and we will continue to do it with support like folks that are listening now. By all means, go visit. Plan a trip. Head on down. It's gorgeous. It is absolutely gorgeous down there. Uh, plan a trip. Go get a great historical site in, as well as also you can help support them that way. But go to their website, PennCenter.com. That's PennCenter.com. I'll link to everything on social media a little bit later on. And go to the support page there, and you can become a member. Help them out preserving the history there. Let's take a break. Come on back. More with Dr. Robert Adams, the executive director of the Penn Center, when we do return on The Matt McNeil Show. Broadcasting on WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk and AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show, brand new to you, holiday edition of the show. That's right. We have not played this before. It's a brand new interview for you. I hope you're enjoying it, and I hope you're having a wonderful holiday season. Dr. Robert Adams is joining us, the executive director for the Penn Center in South Carolina. And we talked about the early history. We talked about the civil rights history. Let's talk about the modern history here because the last time we had Dolores Pringle on – and by the way, all my best to Dolores. She's fantastic. She is one of the best interviews I have ever had. Uh, She is wonderful. Uh, The last time we chatted with her, there was a bit of a – war is probably too harsh of a term. But a a real conflict starting here where St. Helena Island has avoided – the 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 kind of what's happened to a lot of these other islands on the coast uh where it's become developed it's private residences it's golf courses it's gated communities and that's not really what's happened to St. Helena Island and yet now there seems to be this effort to encroach in on the island and to start developing it like something like Myrtle Beach or Hilton Head or something like that nature. We, we knew that there was uh, some uh, some county people that were – there was a county vote that was coming up that was being fought. Uh, it sounded like there was some success there on the Penn Center's behalf because you guys – one of the things which I think is, has been great is since – I believe it's since the 80s there, you have – the Penn Center has done a great job of educating – the landowners on the island that this land is, you know, they're, they're trying desperately, people are trying to desperately to get this land and, you know, educating them on the value of what they've got and not letting people coming in there and kind of rip them off and take their land from them. Yes. Yes. And that effort's continuing. Um, 
So to we work closely with the county to make sure when tax season approaches, they understand their rights and understand how to approach that. We also help them working with um, heirs' rights, try to sort of uh, make sure that their ownership is much more solid on solid ground. Um, and you know we're constant. We're right now still working to uh, you know I would say prevent the dissolution of what we we have something called a cultural protection overlay. Yeah, it came out of efforts by the Penn Center and others in the 1990s to protect Gullah culture and the rural nature of this island. And so more recently, developers have tried to overturn or get an exemption from the cultural protection overlay. The cultural protection overlay prevents, you know, um, it, 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 it really doesn't allow for golf courses to happen on St. Helena. And, and so the developer... Go ahead. No, no, please continue, sir. The developer brought 500 acres mm-hmm. and suggested that he would like to build a golf course, despite the fact that when he bought the land, that was prohibited. Yeah. So what he's been trying to do is do an in run, but luckily the residents of St. Helena and the larger Beaufort County have mobilized to say that's not what they want. They want more equitable development not this sort of one-sided development that'll just attract a lot more um, uh, residents from outside the county and displace the ones that are living here now. Uh, And so they've lost, the the developers lost a number of county votes to sort of get around the CPO or the cultural protection overlay. And what he's doing now is trying to sue the county (laughs) in federal and in state courts. And the Penn Center has joined that fight with the county to try to uphold and protect the cultural protection overlay. And that, that legal battle is ongoing now. We're doing it with other partners and NGOs, you know, like the, uh, the Coastal Conservation League, for example, and some local residents here in St. Helena. Let's take a few steps back, if you don't mind, because we need to, I think yes. for people out there, they need to understand who exactly owns the land. A lot of this is the former slaves who were given the ability by the U.S. government at that time to buy back the land that they had been working for a slave owner, correct? Yes. Yes. That is the history of land ownership on this island. And, you know, I think it would be one thing if, um, the land laws and the tax laws um, sort of worked in a favorable way or equitable way. Oftentimes what ends up happening is these larger uh, corporations and investment funds look to exploit vulnerabilities. So they look to buy this land or get this land on pennies on the dollar. And one of the reasons why um, golf courses were prohibited was because so it wouldn't turn into a sort of vacation wonderland, that this is a real working island and that has real residents who live here and, you know, that are looking for real opportunity, not opportunities of development that actually tax them out Mm -hmm. and push them out. And there's other issues that the development raises and challenges because we're facing uh, sea rise. By 2030, we'll have... The, the 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 sea will have risen by a foot. It's creating all kinds of problems. Largely, this island exists on wells, and so there's a salinization of wells, for example. 
the climate change is is wrecking havoc on um, on some of the seafood. Like it's getting too warm for crabs, for example, which has been a traditional food here. Um, so we have a lot of challenges that we have to address without sort of uh, a type of development that will add more environmental damage and destruction, um, as well as push people out. And if I and I can step in here for a quick second, some people might be listening to this and they say to themselves, oh, what's the big deal? So they want to build a golf course at some, some development. First of all, you need to go to Hilton Head because that entire area, there are more golf courses over there. Bon appetit. Have a great time. Trust me, there's plenty. You'll have a fine time. The concept here is, as you said, once this starts rolling downhill, it does not stop. And this is why, I mean, it, it does not surprise me when you mentioned that there is now a, a lawsuit where he's trying, they're trying to sue to force this on you because, it, you know, it, they don't care about what will eventually happen to the island. It's about making a profit for them. It's about making money for them. And the reality is, is that you would, I mean, I, I feel the same way about when Walmart wanted to build a Walmart near the Gettysburg battlefield. No, that's not you. There's plenty of places you can go build that anywhere else. You do not need to build yeah. it right there. You, 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 you're basically that entire island is a historic site. I mean, there's a there's a Spanish American fort on the one side of it, uh, which is yeah. worth a stop. It's a fairly interesting lost piece of American history, the Spanish American War. But it's but it is it's you know it is the entire island itself is historic. So there is no place for development, which does not include tearing down the history of that area and building something up on it. So if someone wants to go golfing, there are plenty of places in Beaufort. There's plenty of places in Hilton, Hilton Head, uh, Bluffton. They've got tons of areas down there you can go golf. They don't need to do this. This is this just seems to be, and I'll say the word. This is my word. Evil. It just seems evil. Yes, I think the other challenge is is that in South Carolina, um, this has been a lot of golf courses have been built over time, mm -hmm. so that you have right in this last twenty or thirty years, we've actually had more golf courses closing than opening. Um, and so, what that's meant is, almost in a certain way, it's created these brownfields because of all the sort of ecological destruction and the pesticides that were poured onto these lands. They have to have serious remediation to bring them back for public use. And that is one of the things that the fragility of St. Helena and its ecological environment is an important factor, um, that it would just create more problems for the preservation of the island and its um, sustainability. Um, and, yes, yeah, so I, I think that this is one of the reasons why people of all uh, rights across the county have come up and emerged in opposition to this plan. Um, and, and I would say that also the developer um, avoided sort of really trying to figure out how to build buy-in. And he sort of just tried to force this down the community's throats. Mm -hmm. And that's just not... That's just not democracy, you know. I mean, the democratic institutions, the county county council have spoken, and he keeps trying to figure out a way around that. And what's even more ironic and, you know, add injury to insult is that um, he also has part of his legal battle has been a civil rights battle, that his civil rights have been taken huh. from him. 
<laughs> really? That's rich. Yeah. Wow. It is. Oh, well, okay. So, and I'm going to say this as a person who's been down there a little bit. You, you there, you go down Hunting Island, which is a fantastic beach. It's a great state park down there. You can go down there. It's near where you're at. There, you go a little bit past it, and you see one of these kind of gated community islands that's there. The significance, the visual blasphemy to put a gated community or a gate or a restricted area on that island is is an abomination. The kind considering what we're looking at as far as the history of the site, to do even something like that, to have a restricted area for certain people only, it flies in the face of everything the Penn Center and that island represents. Yes. Exactly. And that's why I think that the in some ways he's given us the gift. Um and the reason why I say that is this sort of like outlandish project to put a golf course on St. Helena has just mobilized people um, to of, of all classes, all colors, in opposition to this foolish plan. Mm-hmm. But he really can't understand this island and its unique history. That's been, you know, he didn't do his homework ahead of time. He just saw that he could buy this, you know, plot of land and didn't think about what the rules were um, and any of that. So he bought it understanding, knowing that he couldn't put a golf course there. Mm -hmm. But he figured that money would trump um, sort of the people's will. And I think that this has been at part and parcel of St. Helena in its history related to Penn has been the exercise of the people's will. Well, and then this is the tradition of Penn Center. Well, and the, the education thing that you mentioned there, I imagine it is it is a great you know. I mean, sometimes with with bad attempts here comes that great lesson. And I imagine for a lot of the landowners there, they now kind of you know what maybe they didn't kind of comprehend or understand what the Penn Center was trying to teach them. That if there were people that were on the fence about this, now they kind of see it. They can see how the the, the damage that's done by some kind of development like this. Ken, and this is at the same time where there are smaller efforts where people are essentially coming in and using sort of loopholes in the law mm-hmm. to take small plots of land. You know, people, so people are discovering that they're being ripped off of their land holdings by some sort of, you know, arcane rules. And so we're, even in terms of the national story that made a big, um, in the national news, which was the 93-year-old woman on Hilton Head. They weren't coming to her to say, we're willing to pay you what your land is worth. They were using obscure rules and the threat of bankruptcy through having to hire a lawyer to fight them to take her land. And so that sort of inclination to not be fair, but to take advantage and exploit vulnerabilities makes this even more egregious. And it makes people even more upset because they've held on to this land for so long. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is for 160 some years they've held on to this land only to have someone to try to come and take it from them in, you know, very underhanded, shadowy ways. It's that first place in the South that was where, where black people were made free. And if, if just for a loan on that, they can't understand this historical significance of it. Yeah, he clearly doesn't deserve to be there. But if I can make an, once again, a plea to anyone that's listening to us right now, this is why membership is so important. This is not going to be a cheap court case. 
it needs to be you know set up. And I can tell you this: it's going to be a big uh, you know you know deterrent to anyone else trying this if this if this developer gets defeated. It will be a big deterrent that people won't try to do this again. So you need to get on now to the PennCenter.com. That's PennCenter.com. Go to the support. Become a member. And, you know, your donation there will help in not only preserve the historic buildings, the historic sites, uh, the, the wonderful history of the area, but as well, it helps defend it for future years. Because, once again, not only do you have developers, but you also have climate change, which is, is also encro- encroaching on this. And so it's going to cost a lot to make sure the site is preserved. But, my God, if there is a site that needs to be preserved, it is the Penn Center. We need to definitely step up and help out with that. Uh, another issue that you guys have been uh, working on and preserving a bit of history got featured in the New York Times. I'll mention that in a second. Dr. Robert Adams from the Penn Center joining us. Let's take a break. Come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Joining us once again this whole hour, Dr. Robert Adams is the executive director of the Penn Center. And uh, since, the, since we're in Chicago now, uh, Julius Rosenwald Fund, that has been a fund that's been helping the Penn Center out in the past? Yes. Um, so Julius Rosenwald was one of the leaders of the Sears Company. And in the 1920s, he helped to build a series of, of black schools across the South. Um, and it's that Midwestern um, support that helped to expand education even further into rural areas. And so we have a preserved Rosenwald school that's over 100 years old now. Wow. When, when was it built? 100 you know, years? 1920-something? Yeah. In 1920-something, right. <laughs> and, and um, you know, about, I think, around 1920. And the thing is, this is the thing about, again, it looks like places like the Midwest are disconnected from a place like Buford and St. Helena, and there actually are these strong linkages mm-hmm. and histories that tie us together. And I'm especially proud of that. Um, I used to teach at DePaul University okay. there in Chicago. Um, and so I'm especially interested in all of these connections between the North, the Midwest, and how it all connects up into the South. And that we, even though these regions are, uh, you know, in some ways separate and unique, they're overlapping and in relationship to each other. And I think that's an important thing to um, highlight about how sometimes people may not understand how their history has already overlapped with the Penn Center. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when they come here, they discover, oh, wow, I didn't know that this connects back to my hometown or where I'm from. By the way, I'm going to have you back on. I want to hear the story how you get from DePaul down there because I think that's got to be a fun story as well to hear how you got involved with the Penn Center on that level. But I did want to bring up the story that was in the New York Times back late November uh, that was about prayer houses. And these are little spiritual houses. Are they they post-Civil War, if I'm correct? They were actually um, created originally during the enslavement period. Okay. And they were allowed to exist by the owners, but when the people that went to them could kind of create their own religious practices, and they became important um, laboratories for the creation of gospel and for certain types of dance that became more popularized and fed into dance crazes like the Charleston, Mm -hmm. for example. You know, but they're important 
um, I would say, like sites of cultural creation. Well, and the the story mentions that this has been something that's been on the Penn Center's preservation list as well. How many of the prayer houses are there on St. Helena Island and in the region where you're at right now? So right now on St. Helena, there are only three left. Wow. And this is when we used to have around 30 of them. No, and, and part of the reason why the prayer houses have fallen into disuse is because um, since early 1900s, folks, after they got educated here on the island, would often leave for better opportunities in the north. So the St. Helena would send a steady stream of people to Washington, D.C., New York, Boston. And, you know, there's a 1930 book called Sea Islands in the City. It's about St. Helena residents or natives in Harlem. And that's published in 1930. But so that movement out um, meant that people in their working ages oftentimes weren't, who would have traditionally gone to the prayer houses were in New York and D.C. Mm-hmm. And then they would come back when they were a lot older and, and retired. But so a lot of the houses would, a lot of the praise houses would um, kind of fall into disuse. Now we are fighting a battle to make sure that they stay open and that the tradition, not just as sites, but as active sites, you know, so the Penn Center has been working with the Praise House Guardians to make sure that they got the resources and they and their story is well known, so that folks can visit the Praise Houses, contribute to the maintenance, and also contribute to the activities of the Praise House. Um, and and the the woman that was that was the guardian of the Coffin Point Praise House, which was one of the Praise Houses here on St. Helena, three weeks after the New York Times came to visit. She passed away. Oh, no. And uh, she had come back from, she actually had spent her life in Detroit, her professional life in Detroit, working with the um, the auto union, um, auto workers union. And then after she retired, she came back to Buford, and then she made the Praise House her project. And so now we're trying to transition the person that she designated as her successor into that role as guardian. Mm-hmm. And trying to make sure that we don't lose, because we only have three left, you know, have 10% of what we used to have, and we can't afford to lose any bit of culture. And do you have to move? I mean, some of these in the story, they talked about moving some of them. Is that the case? Is that, you know, because obviously you don't want to move it from the historic side if you can, but if it's the only way you can preserve the building, I imagine that's the best way to go then. Right, right now, we're trying to, you know, continue the negotiations with the owners of the land where they sit on to make sure that they can remain there. But in the past, these praise houses have actually moved in the past, you know, wherever they could sort of set up, because in the end, it's not really the exact piece of land they sit on. It's the area that they sit on, that they reside in. And so um, so that the island is really, St. Helen is a, is a series of old plantations that were, were here. And so people's last names are oftentimes reflected the plantation area they came off of. Mm-hmm. Even the Penn Center used to be Frogmore Plantation. And so for many years, if you look at the records around Dr. King, they'll talk about being in Frogmore, and they're talking about Penn Center. But this is all of these things are tied to the former plantation histories. And so that's the fascinating part. So with the Coffin Point Praise House, anywhere in Coffin Point that it is, it's active and doing its thing. 
And so that's an important part to preserve. But we'd like to keep it exactly in the place it is. But if not, we'll find another place in Coffin Point to um, move it to where people can come and and praise the Lord because that's what it's really about. <laughs> I mean, it's a you know they they really get um, it's these are little small spaces, you know, and when they fill up and you can hear people's voices ring yeah. out, it is such a beauty. Uh, this is why we need to preserve this site. And once again, I want to drive people to the PennCenter dot com. PennCenter.com. Go there, become a member, support. You're helping preserve a lot of things. You're helping in lawsuits to preserve the site as well. Uh, Dr. Robert Adams, the executive director of the Penn Center, this went fast. Please come back anytime, sir. Been a pleasure, and I definitely will return. Thank you so much, and thanks, everybody. Thank you very much, and thank you very much, Matt McNeil Show.